Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to part two of the Big Interview Q&A show. I'm Martin Gregg and with me today are Graham Hunter, host of the Big Interview, and our guest for these shows, La Liga TV's Pete Jensen. We have questions as always from our socios who support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and from our sponsors at Bet365. First up is socio Richard Cook who says... Please, can you talk to me about the comparisons between the two greatest ever players we have seen, Messi and Ronaldo, to Haaland and Mbappe? Two young players with massive potential, but talking about a changing of the guard is surely too early. Why do we have to jump to such conclusions after two nights? Why can't we just enjoy performances for what they are? I feel sorry for Verratti. He was brilliant in that game, but because he doesn't have the profile, he gets ignored. Thanks very much for that question, Richard. Just to say that that game Richard is referring to is obviously PSG's 4-1 win at the Camp Nou last week in which Mbappe scored a hat-trick and Verratti played very well. Yeah, but yeah, but hold on. One, Richard, you've answered your own question. You've asked us to, to compare and then said that comparisons are stupid. So that obviously that leads me straight into a comparison. Sorry about that. And, and I think, it, you know, you, you can't... Compare a, a guy, I forget how old Mbappe is now, but I think Haaland's 20 and Mbappe must be 21, 22 at tops. You, you can't compare them to where Messi and Ronaldo got to. But, f- for example, just unfolding the comparison a little bit, I think it's fascinating. I haven't done the stats this time for this question, but I remember looking back when I was writing about Ronaldo and, and people like Pete and I consistently try to be both honest and fresh about this thing that we're asked all the time about Ronaldo Messi that we've been asked for I don't know how many years now 10, 11, 12 years and and there was one time I went back and I looked at how long it took Cristiano Ronaldo to score a Champions League goal and I think it was in the region of 28 games to score for I think he I think he played a Champions League qualifier or maybe in a Champions League for Sporting and he went an extremely long time before he scored a Champions League goal. Fucking Haaland, at 20, is, is scoring in the Champions League at, at, at an all-time record level. He looks as if scoring in the Champions League is at least as easy, if not easier, than scoring in the Bundesliga. He hit the ground running instantly they arrived at Dortmund. And nobody in this um, question and answer for, for the socios, Richard, is going to say, therefore Haaland's better than Ronaldo, or any piss like that. But but whether you want to compare... The st- I, I, I think it's legitimate to compare the styles and the ideas and the evolution of 
young Messi, young Ronaldo, Haaland and Mbappe. I think that's fun and fair. To come to conclusions about like that the whole team performance was about Mbappe or it was about Haaland or whatever, well, that wouldn't be right at the camp now. But if you watched what happened at Nervy on, Dortmund are enthralled to Haaland. Dortmund give Haaland the ball like Celtic used to give the ball to Larson. Anytime he wants it, give it to him. Give it to him all the time. And when Haaland dropped deep and was given the ball, I think when Rakitic gave it away, when he's on the run, Dortmund are just like, listen, let's pile forward, lads, because there's going to be fucking havoc. There's going to be chaos. If he doesn't score, one of us will, because look at the opposition. And this is repeated in the Bundesliga. It was the case last season in Europe. And now in, in this version of the Champions League, Dortmund clearly wasn't particularly well coached. They've got an interim coach at the moment, Marcus Rose. Marco Rose is coming in um, at, at, the, at the end of the season. The squad is, is average. You know, there's some good footballers in there, but is it well composed? No. Um, old Zorki, um, who's the, the Monchi of Germany, hasn't had his best squad building. And Haaland is just their, their pharaoh. And he is literally phenomenal. And what augments the talents he was given with, given originally at birth, and augments being brought up in a football family, because it's not just, oh, interesting, that our fingers his dad. When you listen to the two of them talk, it's about indoctrination, about standards and, and, and daily work, as is the case with Llorente um, at Letty, brought up in a football family where every single thing is focused towards being the best that you possibly can be. The thing that augments all that with Haaland, from my eye, from my taste, is that he, he wasn't a one-trick pony, but the, 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 the delicate nature of football intelligence and how to play a particular situation, how, how to lay things off, how to associate and, and link other people around you when what you've got in your head is, I, I am, I, I'm going to terrorise everybody and I'm going to score. That's, that's quite a hard thing to learn. And Alan didn't originally have it and, it and he's changed. I think he's augmented that skill. I think he's worked really hard on on first touch, on layoff, and having a degree of decision-making that isn't simply, I've got the ball, off I go. And that makes him a much more dangerous footballer. So to suddenly say, you know, thank you and goodbye, Messi and Ronaldo, Ricardo, I'm right, uh, right with you. That would be utterly stupid. But comparisons are worthwhile because they're interesting. And I, I would argue that neither Messi nor Ronaldo were quite as explosively impactful um, in the the Champions League or even the World Cup, given how Mbappe played in Russia, as, as Ronaldo and Messi were. Does that mean they go out and have better careers, win, win more trophies, be considered better footballers? That, that's, that's not on the table here at all. It's just a wrong comparison. But are we, are we looking at two absolutely phenomenally interesting footballers I think we are, and I think it's it's useful to start to say, what are the benchmarks, what are the styles, how did those two evolve, what's different about Ronaldo when he began until now, and is because the, the comparison between Mbappe and Ronaldo and Haaland and Ronaldo, there are more similarities between the Portuguese and the Norwegian in my book. So why what, why is it? Is it just simply physical power that Haaland has from birth and Cristiano didn't that meant that 
you know, scoring was so easy for Haaland and, and not so easy in the elite club game for Ronaldo. That sort of thing fascinates me and I think, Richard, you can learn from it. What was interesting after last week um, when Haaland got, got his two goals was him talking about um, having been motivated the previous night by Mbappé and what he did. Um, and I think there is a, a thirst for a, a new rivalry because obviously the Ronaldo-Messi rivalry is has kind of petered out for, for obvious reasons. Um, I'm just fascinated to where they'll both go next. Um, I think Mbappe wants to go to Madrid. I think he wants to play for Real Madrid. Um, I don't think Madrid are in a particularly good financial situation, either, even though we only ever hear about Barcelona's financial problems. I think Madrid, um, we don't talk about them as much because they're not as public with their, with their situation. Um, I'd love to see Haaland go to go, go to Barcelona for one reason and one reason alone. I think it would put a four years on Messi's career um, because he's got everything that you know that that you know that, that's that's lacking. Will will be lacking in the in the in the final years of of, of Messi. Um, so if 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 them being the new Messi Ronaldo in terms of the rivalry means that they both end up playing in the same league and that league is La Liga. Then you know that would be fantastic, um, but um, there's going to have to be some very um, imaginative accounting take place, particularly at football club Barcelona, um, from the new president. I mean, his first job is going to be to sit down with all the people that they have to pay by the 30th of June. I think it's about 250 million. It's got to be coughed up by then. Um, but if that can be renegotiated, and just it's going slightly off on a um, on a tangent, but you know one of the reasons why Barcelona have have um, suffered because they haven't had a proper sporting director is not just that you miss out on buying the right player. It's not just that you buy the wrong player. You also can't get rid of the mistakes. I mean, this is one of the things that sporting directors do. Um, and if the new president comes in and he brings in a sporting director um, and and he is able to move on the people at a loss because that's inevitable but move on the, the, the players that the club probably shouldn't have signed and, and, and still aren't, aren't being successful then that might create some wriggle room despite the, the, the terrible situation that they're in so um, I mean I think Graham's seen a lot more of Mbappe and, and Haaland than me and, and I'm happy to bow to him on, on, both, on both of those but just in terms of looking forward I'd love to see that. I'd love to see them continue the messy rivalry. I'd love to see them do it in La Liga. I'll just back Pete up. There is a possibility that each of them are in La Liga from the summer onwards. It's a possibility. Barcelona, Joan Laporta has created a credit line, which is amazing, which is sufficient to convince Haaland and his agent that this should be the the city should be the destination. Whether that ultimately is what happens or not is is a victim to so many factors that I'm not making a prediction. But they want him and just the whole just, you said it would prolong Messi's life. Can you imagine a, a sort of boastful preening Laporta as president? Say let's say Xavi is the coach, Xavi coaching Haaland and Messi feeding off Haaland's chaos. It's it, it, however it would look. It was a, it's a picture you'd pay to watch. It's mental. It's mental. Okay, our second question of part two is from Mister Robert McIntosh, longtime socio. Um, and Robert says, as we get to the business end of the season, which teams or managers have been advantaged by the lack of crowds, and who has suffered most? 
He says, I suspect there's something in the narrative that the emotional support of a packed stadium might have helped in some circumstances, e.g. by intimidating the opposition into making mistakes or feeling 2-0 down before a ball is kicked. And he says, brackets, Celtic, Dortmund, etc. Equally, there is a different narrative about the ways in which home crowds won't tolerate faffing about which in turn may have allowed some breathing space for a new approach to bed in, brackets Rangers, Atleti, etc. He said, I'd be interested in views on this across the major leagues, brackets, and Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Roberto, I'm going to ask Pete to to have his opinion first on this, but you have to reach for one club, and quickly, and again, it's a big interview veteran. Wish them! The, the fact that, that, that David Moyes has had peace to work from a crowd that whatever they thought of him or his squad hate the stadium, hate the owners and are, in, in, in my uh, opinion, the most vinegary bunch in the world. And you take that away. And it's like you send your, your angry girlfriend away for the weekend you get the builders in, you paint and decorate, you bring them back and you're like, well, it's love again. You bring the West Ham fans back to the style of football that Moise's team is playing right now and they're like, what the fuck happened here? But had they been there the whole time, the players wouldn't have had the confidence to play that they're doing. And I think in that world league, whatever other answers we come up with, in the world league of, oh, yeah, no, we'd love the fans back. Asterisk, not true. Um... We Stam are definitely at the top. Yeah, and there's a couple of um, very similar situations in Spain, similar to the West Ham situation. I mean, Valencia would already be down. Uh, you know, it would be impossible. To, <laughs> it would be impossible to go out and play in front of those supporters with with everything that's happened with the players they sold last summer, with the fact that they didn't buy anyone. Um, it would just be completely unbearable. You know, home games would would, would have been awful. Betis would have sacked Pellegrini. Um, Pellegrini wouldn't probably still be in charge um, and that is is a blessing that that didn't happen because he now has them kind of um, on the outskirts of uh, the Europa League places but he he, he probably wouldn't have lasted Um, they would have demanded a change Um, and at Football Club Barcelona uh, had the supporters been there Bartomeu would have been forced out a lot sooner Tusquets would have had to would have had to get on with the election he never would have got away with delaying uh, as he has done, uh, we'd already have a new president, and they probably would have would have signed um, at least Eric Garcia in January. So it would have been a very different season. Um, and certainly, in the case of Valencia and, and, and Betis, you know, I mean, those two clubs have, have benefited from, from the supporters not being there. Um, and teams that have suffered in Spain, it's actually been the smaller clubs, Eibar and Getafe. Yeah, Alaves as well, you know, the tight little grounds where the, the players really feed off the energy that comes from the supporters and, and they've missed that. Cadiz, you know, Cadiz don't play a particularly attractive brand of football, but, you know, when, when, they, when they've beaten Madrid away and a couple of weeks they come back and they beat Barcelona at home, those players would have been made to feel like titans and there would have been extra lungs and legs all through. Athletic, Athletic is such a, a powerful, noisy, proud support who are, are not averse to occasionally saying we're not happy, but they're, they're, they give Athletic at San Mames such licence. 
Because you're ours. It's a one club city. We are Los Leones. We are unique. And and when they roar, when they're behind you, it's important. From the point at which they brought home a trophy, a full San Mames with the Supercopa, one in the style that they did, um, having seen La Real um, knocked out in the semi-final, Athletic are a pretty interesting proposition right now anyway, but they'd have been supercharged for the rest of the season. I'd have loved, I'd have paid good money to see um, Sam Mames full with Marcelino and um, Asiar the trumpeter and we Muniain nicking about the pitch with that, that big old trophy. They've lost out. Atleti, Atleti have lost out too. I mean, that's a given. Everybody who knows Spanish football knows that Although the Metropolitano is, is not the Calderon, it counts. It, it makes a difference. It lifts you. And, and neither of us have talked about the effect that, you know, visiting teams suffer when they're in particularly hostile environments. And some teams don't, don't particularly fancy it. And um, may the break without fans be as short as is healthy and humanly possible. And I think, just Pete and I again, Robert, we didn't know your question was coming at this stage when we spoke about this a couple of days ago. But when, when fans are back and it's healthy and stadia are full and you get players suddenly going, what the fuck is that noise? And they get roared and we'll see studs in tackles. We'll see six fours again. We'll see players doing laps of honour after a goal six times around the pitch. It's going to be absolutely mental. It'll, it'll be as if they're all intoxicated. Don't, don't you, Martin, don't you both think so? That once, oh, can you imagine? It'll be like, you know, playing and being on the bevy during the match. <laughs> it'll just be carnage. And we're speaking just after the Champions League games and uh, seven of the eight games were won by the away team in this round. So, you know, the players are missing home supporters so much. Apart from, apart from Betis and Valencia. <laughs> Green, very briefly, I, I was looking at Robert's question again and he, he name-checks Celtic Rangers and the Scottish League. I know for a fact, I know for a fact that the good professor is a, is a die-hard dandy, but I, I do think he would maybe like a little line on the impacts of no crowds in Scotland so what do you think of that? Well I'll start, I'll start at home I know Dave Cormack well enough to know that <clears throat> he is not guided by social media but he wants Aberdeen's um, image appreciation to rise and he knows that at the moment that on social media there can be really quite vituperative responses to the quality of the Dandies' performances, some of Derek McInnes's statements, the brand of football that he's proposing. And were Patoji, you know, um, to have had crowds as normal over the last, I don't know, six to ten months, then I, I think the likelihood of, of change having been instituted is probably greater. Um, because... The, the, the football's been stale goals have come at a terrible premium a massive opportunity in the League Cup has been lost a massive opportunity to finish second has been lost then another massive opportunity to defeat Hibs and try to secure third place has been lost so 
I adore Patoji. I miss Patoji. It's it makes me really deeply sad. I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling bad now even talking about it and thinking about it. It really really gets to me. Um, and and seeing Patoji with the fans back again will be a big step, but it, it's it's definitely had a big impact on the decision making at the club. I think the fact that there haven't been fans there for so long. I I don't argue that. I mean, I'm lucky enough in in two thousand to have played on the Parkhead turf. Maybe you have too, Martin. Um, with Peter Beardsley for England against the Scotland media, and sorry, Peter Jordan. Yes, I did hack you down brutally. Um, and the the feeling of playing at Parkhead with about a thousand people watching was mental. It's intoxicating. Such an arena. So what it's like when you're there and either there's the full support of the crowd or they're parking their grievances because they don't want Steven Gerrard's team to to prevent them winning 10 in a row. They don't want Rangers to win the title and they may not be happy, but they're behind you. Would that have made a difference to Celtic or, or would they have turned on the team and the manager? I'm not a Celtic fan, so I'm not entirely sure. But I can't imagine that for the many months there's now been... Uh, no fans at, at Parkhead that it can be and an anything it must have stripped some positivity away it must have stripped it must have made it more difficult for players who doubt themselves or see the, the, the title at the window it, 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 it cannot and particularly their away support in small grounds I think that's a factor too you know we talk about home support but you know both Celtic and Rangers sadly have big the dandies too you know when we travel we're noisy so away support at grounds where the team needs to hear things Hitafi were on about this the other day I can't remember if it was Aaron Barry but he was like yeah you know I loved hearing our little band of uh, you know blue shirted followers in stadiums where they hate us and it's us and the fans against everybody that thing um, has gone away too but I think it's Robert you have to say it, it's irrefutable that given how Rangers have been playing, and I think they're playing really well, they're not just leading out of sight, the, the quality of player that they brought in, the improvements in the footballers that they've got there, Mark, Stephen Gerrard and Gary McAllister, uh, but also Michael Keane, the entire um, operation there, and I know Stuart Robertson really well, used to play football with him, AMD, Range, R- Ibrox would have been packed to the rafters, they would have been triumphant for many, many months now. It would have given Rangers wings. And as powerful as they are in Europe and domestically, you know, were crowds back, anybody who'd notice the idea that Ibrox wouldn't have been a 12th, 13th and probably 14th man is, is kidding themselves. So even though Rangers are running away with things, um, they've suffered, I think. I think anybody who's been at Ibrox when, when your team's getting a do-in, and doesn't admit that is is fooling themselves Okay, it's time for a break we'll be back in a moment with a couple of more questions to complete part two of this month's Q&A Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at UH1.com 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we're back with an audio question from Tom Lee. Hola, Graham Pete. Socio Tom Lee here with something that's causing me much consternation. Please shed some light. Um, this new, I'm going to go for the word cult, but even curse, passing it out from the back. Um, just because Guardiola does it, does it mean that everybody else, and it doesn't seem to matter what league, they're all at it. Oh my God, it's causing absolute pandemonium. Um, supposedly brilliant, decorated, super skilled elite players under orders to get the ball down and play at the back. I know it's meant to draw the opposition team forward and create space and beat the all that nonsense. What is wrong with the good old-fashioned idea of Paul Robinson style, get the ball and smack it into orbit and relieve the pressure? It's causing absolute chaos, particularly if you watch Manchester United a lot, you'll see that one of the arch culprits, Lindelof, is presented with the ball about 10 yards from his own goal. Not a clue what to do. Every week, major opportunity on goal or ball in United's net, completely unnecessary. Tell me there's some upside to this because from all I can see, it's just a fad which is causing total mayhem. Thanks, gents. Cheers. Great as always. I know that um, Tom's not alone in in, in kind of cursing... Um, Modern football, as we're calling it, um, because just after the Pep Guardiola years at Barcelona or, or during them as well, um, there was a time when every single team in the top flight in Spain tried to play the same way, almost every single t- team. Um, uh, every team would split the two centre-backs and the holding midfielder would drop in and they'd try and play out from the back. And and, and, and a lot of coaches laugh, laughed at this. Um, I can remember sitting down with Kiki Sanchez-Flores and him kind of um, having a good laugh about some of the coaches that were trying to play in the top division and simply didn't have the players. And there's a very good um, monologue from the Cadiz manager this season in one of his post-match press conferences when he talks about, you know, we, we would do that if we could. But we can't, so we're not going to do it and fail to do it and get caught out and, and, and concede. Um, um, is there an upside to playing out from the back? Of course there is. You keep the ball. Um, you know, the long ball forward, the, the further you play the part, the further you play the pass, the more likelihood that it, it goes back to the opposition and you're immediately under pressure. Um, listen, I grew up watching England play and... Um, you know, we, 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 we never had that ability to play out from the back. It would always be the long ball forward and then the second ball. Um, and it worked in the, in, the, in the domestic game because everyone was doing it. So you'd play the long ball forward and you'd lose it, but they'd play it immediately forward and they'd lose it and it didn't matter. But then when you took it onto the international stage, 
the opposition didn't do it, so you did it, and then they kept the ball for five minutes. It's something that gets abused sometimes by coaches who, who, who try to do it without having the same players. But um, keep the ball, keep the ball. As um, someone made a someone made a film and a, it's book, a follow book up. About keep the ball, that. keep the ball. Yeah. I remember going to Soccer X in about nineteen ninety five or six in 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 the Wembley Conference Arena. A big old Drew Tulip was 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 there, and at that stage. He'd either, he either was the Chelsea player manager or he just ceased being. I think he still was the Chelsea manager. And he picked exactly your point. He said, yeah, yeah, I, we used to love AC Milan, Holland. He said, we loved playing England. We loved it. He said, when we lost possession, we, we, we didn't need to press. We used to press in Renus Michels' day, but we didn't need to press. Because when we lost possession, all I did was just jog back a little bit from midfield Stand in the middle of the defence, look up into the sky. Within about four seconds, there'd be a ball coming. I'd bring it down just here. It would stop dead, and we'd play again. And you're like, that's, that's a pretty good explanation. So, even though, Tom, I know that Robo, your mate, put special spin on the ball when he kicked it long, and I must admit, a couple of games ago doing commentary, it occurred to me, I can't remember the last time in an elite game in, in England or in Spain or in Champions League or Europe League where the keeper put the ball to hand and kicked it long. Playing that for the back is absolutely brilliant and Tom, as you knew, you were talking provocative rubbish. But when, when Guardiola was the one that, that kind of made it, it even more in vogue to play out from the back, although he wasn't the only one doing it when he took over at Barcelona, he said, it's for a purpose. It's not to show off. It's not because I like to see them. He said two things. He said, one, I want superiority of numbers and therefore if there's a press, I want us to be able to play out well enough that suddenly going forward, once we beat that press, either the player who's beaten the press, like De Jong did last night, uh, two nights ago, when he burst through against Elche and saw a space and went powering, you know, that's what he wanted at Bayern Lamb or whoever else was, was playing from, I forget who was the centre-back there, Boateng even, um, at, at Barcelona he wanted PK or for a short period Marquez or Yaya Toure in the cup final against uh, Athletic. And you've seen it until, evidently you're bored of it, Tom, at, at City. The idea is that it's a superiority creator, that it's a space creator, and he doesn't do it for effect. And if you watch um, Edison now... If it's the right thing to do, Edison does exactly what you're talking about, Tom. Edison will throw it or punt it 60 metres because the other side has, has got ready for its press so high up that City are, are freer if the ball goes long. And therefore, the, the absolute architect of the thing that you're criticising is somebody who doesn't believe in, in what you're describing, which is the play out the back at any cost. And Barca did it with Ter Stegen and Suarez, didn't they, last season, Graham? The goal against Getafe. So you've got this idea that if you're known for playing at the back, so the Stegen Suarez example is really good. If, if you're like, okay, wait, 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 now, now we go, and you catch the opposition out, fantastic. And I, I think it's, I think it's really, really important to understand two things. Tom, one, if players can't play out from the back, why the fuck not? You know, what's wrong with the coaching? Their positional intelligence, because however skilled the players at the back are, if you're not properly positioned, the press will always 
either win or cause you problems. So what is wrong with elite footballers that A, they can't quickly learn the position and movement you need to create triangles of passing when they spend all fucking day, five days a week training? And secondly, what's wrong with elite footballers that they can't pass six or seven metres rapidly and receive it in turn and think about body shape in order to play out from the back if it's the right thing to do? That's where your anger should be turned. If if senior if if you're saying to me, you know, I'll obviously exclude uh, Portsmouth and Aberdeen from this analogy, but if you're saying to me that they they they, they don't necessarily have the calibre of player at, at Crew or Grimsby, or you know down the divisions at Fuenlabrada in 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 Spain, all right. If they don't have the academy players and they can't sign players of quality, then okay, don't use that tactic. But in the quality of football you watch, Tom, and the elite teams that we talk about and commentate on and we go out to their, their training grounds and we interview them, if they can't pass it fucking, you know, six, seven, eight metres six times in the space of 23 seconds in order to beat a press, why are they in the industry? So, in short, Tom, um, I've caught your grenade and lobbed it right back at you, Paul Robinson style. <laughs> I thought, I, I'm just going to... I want to add one point to this, and I, I, from my perspective, I think when it when it goes wrong, it looks disastrous, and when it goes right, it's often invisible because if it's used to build, retain possession and build passages of play, which can, you know, in two or three minutes time result in a, a goal scoring opportunity or, or not right it's very rare that you, you trace it right back to the source of the river and say we'll see what we did there from a fan's perspective y- you know y- you don't have that um, insight when you're watching a game um, maybe that comes in the post post match analysis when when the coaches are sitting down to look at it and say well you know that's why it worked and that's why we do it but ultimately for for so many teams to be doing it there must be enough the data must tell them that it's working and 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 also then to pick up on your point why be a lemming coach and go like well oh that's in fashion now but i haven't traced it back to its tributary and what difficulties you encounter in order to be able to do it right I've kind of ignored the fact that it looks a disaster, it doesn't go right, but I'd better do it because my president or you know, my agent or you know the, the local media will be on my back if I don't. Well, no, don't, you know, don't be a lemming and just go, ah, it's the Vogue thing, we'll have a go at it. Sorry, Pete. No, I was just going to say that the television replays actually of goals are getting worse and worse and often you don't see the, you just about see the assist, you don't see the pass that plays to the assist player. And, and it certainly wouldn't go back to, the, to, as you say, the move out from the back. And sure, if you watch the analysis after, you'll see it. But instead of getting 50,000 different angles of the goal and different speeds and, you know, the, the, web, the spider cam and the, and the camera coming out the turf, you just want to see the move and you want to see it far back enough to see how, how it started. Um, and as you say, that's, I've not thought of it like that before, but you're right. When, when it goes wrong, you see it over and over again. When it goes right, you often miss it because it's not shown. I think Tom's sitting, rubbing his hands together while stroking his white cat at this moment in time. That was a great question. (laughs) Um, Rather appropriately, we're going to finish on a question from our sponsors at Bet365, and it's to do with Pep Guardiola's Man City. What has been the key component to Man City's rise up the Premier League table? Do, Do you believe they can win the quadruple so just to add to that, we're recording this the morning after the 2-1 win over 
Borussia Mönchengladbach in the first leg of the last 16 Champions League tie. I think that was our 19th win in a row. So how do we break down City's rise and can they win everything this season? Well, I'll have a stab, I'll have a stab. Um, again, it's slightly odd because Pete and I were talking about this recently and I think one of the factors is that I genuinely believe that it's astonishing that more football people aren't in some sort of burnout breakdown because more is being asked of them since March 2020 than at any time in my lifetime in terms of preparation, recovery, by which I mean even the guy who washes the kits, but the guy who plans the opposition, uh, video cuts, the the assistant who's got to make sure that the training ground is, is properly set up, the, the, the doctors, the physios, the, the guys who use the technology to say whether a player is reaching breaking point or not, the players themselves, the, the coaches. We are demanding more of them in psychological, physical terms, um, their use of brain power, uh, coping with stress, coping with strange situations. They're all human beings, albeit the, the, the vast majority of football people, active football people who have contracted COVID, have, have come through it without a problem. It doesn't mean that those who are in the football industry day to day, but are maybe not in the greatest shape anymore, don't fear, well, I wonder if COVID could be a killer for me or my family. We're asking them, you know, Pete, Pete and I often reflect, uh, Martin, on, on the, the joy it brings us to still be able to do the large part of our work, irrespective of the fact that fans go to football, can't go to football. Football has continued, and largely without drastic negative consequences. It's been the right decision for football to, to continue. But what privilege it is, is for us, not just to be keeping the wolf in the door and earning money, but we have to accept that people, there will be stories once normality resumes, of people in the industry looking back and going, I'm not sure how I came through that, or my kids were frightened, or my parents died. Klopp and, and Pep Guardiola have both lost um, a parent during this thing, and, and that impacts on you hugely, irrespective of whether your salary is, you know, a thousand euros a month or, you know, 17 million euros a year. And it, I think that the, the, the teams that are able to cope best with this are the ones whereby systems and ideas are best established, where high quality people at all levels are functioning, because those types of people in a crisis usually function best. On the pitch, in my opinion, teams, when we've asked them to, to go to sleep from March till May, June, then get up and, and, and play Jake LaMotta football non-stop, then have a tiny pre-season where not only don't you get a holiday, you don't get a rest, you don't get a proper preparation. Again, your body and your mind are like, what the fuck is happening? We play a Champions League group stage. It's never been, it's absolutely unheralded that you don't get two, three, sometimes four weeks rest between Champions League matches. And they come along like a flurry of blows. And therefore, it's my opinion that it is a significant advantage for teams that have elite personnel, elite systems, established philosophies, and 
on the pitch, those who keep the ball best, who are expending more mental energy and concentration on doing the things right than expending high physical energy on the press or breakaway football. And these things do not solely explain City's surge. But my view is, in answer to our sponsors, Bet365, my view is that that is central to what we're seeing. And then you decorate it with other answers and other um, other nodules of, of extreme quality. I think also it's been a reminder again of, of what separates Guardiola from the rest, just this ability to improve individual players. Um, and John Stones was a great hope of, of English football, ball playing centre-half at long last, and then it kind of never really developed from there as, as, as all England fans wanted it to. Guardiola's got to work with him. He's now the best centre-back at City. He's the, he's the first choice and then, you know, it's you know it's a case of who, who plays alongside him and I think at the moment Diaz is probably ahead of Laporte. Um, and his ability as well, Guardiola, to, to just invent new roles for players. I don't see as many City games as, as I'd like to but I noticed that he's got little Bernie Silva playing at false nine against Arsenal and he didn't play false nine in the week against Borussia Mönchengladbach, but he did head in one goal and then a headed assist for, for another. Um, and, you know, this kind of ties in a little bit with, with what Graham's just said about having a, a system always in place that is your kind of backup and will help you get through the, the kind of peaks and troughs where everyone else is being thrown about, you know, like they're on, on board a ship at high seas and, and the city, you know boat just keeps going along even kill um it, it, people sometimes question why people maybe like myself and graham who who were, were, were here in spain when guardiola was winning everything do we not overrate him he's not overrated he's head and shoulders above everything else there is and and Klopp comes close but that ability to to to, to improve and it's, it's usually on a technical and a ta- tactical level it's also on a human level if you think about sterling i mean how close sterling was to to, to slightly going off the rails and how pep became aware of that he was became aware of, of of him being kind of public enemy number one and not getting and, and being over criticized england and taking it upon himself to make contact with sterling when he was at a tournament and, and, and speaking i think this was when he when he just arrived wasn't it and sterling was having a bad time with england so he does it on a human level he does it on a technical and a tactical level um and he improves players, um, and he's patient with them. I mean, Ferran Torres, is, uh, as far as I'm aware, hasn't had an incredible first season, but you can bet um, that um, next season and the season after that we'll be seeing exactly why City uh, plucked him out of Valencia and how criminal it was that Valencia let him go for such a such a small amount of money without sit, with letting their fans see some of his some of what he could do beforehand. So you know, a, a lot of um, a lot of it just comes down to to Guardiola, and, and we can bleat on about the fact that he hasn't won the Champions League post Barca and post Messi, but to win the league season after season after season in in three different countries is an incredible achievement. That's it for the second part of this month's Q and A. Thank you to all our socios who sent questions for this month's show. Graham Hunter and Mr Pete Jensen thank you very much for your time boys and thank you to the listeners we'll be back with more big interviews very soon
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.